0: Thank you, choir, and musicians, and AV department. Thank you all. Yeah. I don't know if any of you recognize it, but we had uh, quite a few new band members playing this morning. And uh, we thank God for them. Yeah, amen. Before I get into my sermon, um, I wanted to just mention something about Uh, Candy Kingdom, you know, we already announced that a little bit and told you how you could give online and stuff, but a way that you can give here in the services, uh, after service, is if you go by in the back, there's an information area there, and they have these coupons here and um, you heard Andrea say that we have 85,000 pieces of candy that we'll be giving out on uh, Candy Kingdom Night, Halloween as it were, the 31st, and so this is your chance to help us uh, pay for some of that candy You pick up one of these and you can give online or you can give a check in the offering for this and that would be helpful to the kids ministry budget as it were because i don't know if you recognize it but candy is a lot more expensive than it was when i was a kid yeah i know i'm really old so it was really cheap when i was a kid they actually had penny candy back then and um but i just think it's an opportunity for you to uh help out with that and be involved. Some of you will not be able to be here the night of that event and and serve in that area, but this is a way you can be involved and be a part of the blessing of being able to uh, reach outside of our walls and bring... We're actually gathering a lot of kids and and children and adults will be in the building that do not attend Valley Bible. They're not members here. They might not even come any other time, but um, they have the opportunity to have those 85,000 pieces all have Bible verses on them and... um, we have actually gotten responses from our community and different people saying that they actually sat down with their kids and read those verses to them as they doled out the candy. Yeah, so don't, it's not a waste of time putting those verses on there because there might be a little life that's changed because of a verse that tells them about Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen so that 's your opportunity to be involved in that, and we welcome that and uh, as the uh, as a pastor here at Valley Bible Church, I would say this to you as individuals and as a congregation. thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving to valley bible church um, you 've done it for years, and uh, I cannot wait to see how God is going to continue to bless your lives i 've seen him bless many of your lives already who have been faithful in that area, and so um, just Thank you from the bottom of my heart to you and from the pastoral staff and the elders. We say thank you. And um, so let me uh, read our verse this morning and our section of Scripture, and we'll get right into it. Um, Biblical answers regarding divorce. Biblical answers regarding divorce. This is chapter 7, verse 10, and we're going to read through 24. Um, So I believe that there we go. It's up there for you. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy or sanctified. Yet if if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And that is, O wife, not old wife, just so you remember that. Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your reading of your word. We thank you that um, we have an opportunity to look at it and discover some of the answers that you give us regarding divorce. And uh, you did that through the Apostle Paul, and we want to touch on those things. And would you please, um, right now, allow the Holy Spirit to speak into the lives of your people through your servant. Um, may I be out of the way and let you be at the forefront of the people's minds as a. Listen to what the Word of God says in this regard. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of our passage this morning, we see that Paul is taking on a very confrontational area of marriage. It is a major social issue in our day, and it was a major social issue in their day. The issue is, as we read the passage, is, of course, the breaking up of marriages or divorce. I want to say that... um, I do not believe that this is coincidental that this passage follows what we looked at last week. I think it's very intentional. As Todd discovered last week and and clearly stated that um, in the marriage relationship, the, the, the sexual activity in a marriage relationship, you're not to withhold yourself from your partner. And he very clearly just made it really simple in my mind. As you approach your marriage, are you a giver Or are you a getter? And um, if you're a getter, I'm afraid this section here might have some hold on your life eventually. If you're a giver and you're married to a giver, what a wonderful thing that is. And God calls it out. But I don't think it's an accident that all of a sudden we see this passage on divorce and separation right after we discuss that passage. I think it's very intentional. And I I love how uh, God is a author and he used men to write out the scriptures. God breathed by him. And um, I love that it's very orderly. It's not chaotic. It's not all over the map. It's in a very smooth order. And we watch that and as we go through each section, a section by section, verse by verse, we see very clearly that God has an order to things. And I saw that here. But during this week, as I studied this, I thought, well, how bad is it in our country when we talk about breakups and when we talk about divorce? Um, Doing biblical counseling for years now, I know the stats have been really deplorable. And let me tell you, um, looking back at 2022, um, they're still deplorable. They continue to get worse. The only thing that keeps the numbers of divorces down a bit is people aren't getting married anymore there's less and less marriages taking place so there's less and less divorces but percentage-wise divorces are rising and here in California um, California probably about mm, I don't know when it was exactly because they didn't say but they quit reporting the divorce rate in California they quit reporting it even in the census they don't tell it anymore How they get away with not doing that in the census, I don't know. But they don't give the stats and the statistics for California. But the last time we had those stats, two out of three marriages in California end up in divorce. Um, That's two-thirds, two over three. Two out of three end up in divorce. And the sad thing is... um, You know, I've given that stat before that 50% of all marriages today will end in five years. The percentage is even higher at the eight-year mark. At the eight-year mark, that's where we get this 65% or 62%. or It was just below two-thirds. And and then the ages and all that, and, and the information that I read about this, it was actually, this is very interesting, the article that I looked at, found it online, was from Forbes magazine. How many of you know that Forbes magazine is a money magazine, basically? They're a news agency, but they're dealing with funds usually. And so uh, I think it's very uh, apropos that they put it in in a financial magazine because divorce is not cheap. It's not cheap economically and it's not cheap of what it does to the family. It's a very expensive process and it's one that God does not ordain. Although he does grant divorce, he wants people to stay married forever. When you marry someone, it's supposed to be a lifetime commitment. And and these numbers were very upsetting to me, and they would be upsetting to you if you looked at all of them. But just hearing that two out of three marriages in California end in divorce should frighten you a little bit. Gives no consideration for the plan of God. Marriage is a sacred thing. God planned it. God designed it. He, he intended it to be between a husband and a wife, a, a man and a woman. And, um, and these stats that I, that I was looking at, they've now infiltrated all of the other types of marriages are now in those categories. Guess what? Same-sex marriages are divorcing at a higher rate than a standard God-ordained marriage. Interesting. But here's what I notice. And, and I've attended some weddings in recent times in the last few years, and what I've noticed is, is this. I notice that when God does marriage, it's a sacred thing, and, and we hear terms like this. He says, your marriage should last until death do you part. Huh. Uh, it, it should be a for better or worse circumstance. It should be in sickness and in health, in prosperity and in, in poverty. Your conditions shouldn't change the fact that you should stay married. But I just attended some weddings in the last few years where I was not officiating those weddings, probably because I would not have complied with what the bride and groom wanted But I didn't hear these terms in the vows. I didn't even hear God presented in a marriage issue, in a marriage circumstance. The one that ordained it, the one that designed it, the one that sees it as something that even in an unsaved world, he still says, I can smile at an unsaved couple that marries. They're obeying what I said to do. And he can say, but now we're just going to keep him just like we're doing in a lot of other areas in this country. We're going to exclude the the creator of marriage. We're going to exclude him and push him out of the way. And then I thought, man, Lord, how bad is this? This is horrible. And... In this room right now, I would never ask you to do this. I would never ask you to hold your hand up if you've been divorced. I know how many people have been. But the effects of divorce, the effects of divorce were never intended to be. Divorce at this time was rare amongst the Jewish individuals, but it was rampant in Corinth. It was rampant in the pagan societies, in the Roman culture. Women could go and just say, I don't want to live with him anymore. I want out of the marriage, and they would just grant it. With no reasoning, the irreconcilable differences were going on at that time. When we study passages of Scripture, we we study it historically and grammatically. So you have to look at the history of what was going on there in Corinth. And in large metropolis cities and towns of of the Roman culture at that time, very pagan-driven, divorce was probably more rampant than what we're even seeing. It was just an accepted part of the culture. Oh, you're not happy with her? Get rid of her! You're not happy with him? Get get out of the room! You don't need to be married to him anymore, just get out! That's not God's design. We see that very clearly. I'm going to try and do three things in the short amount of time that I have. And that's what? Instructions regarding divorce between believers. That's one. I'm going to give you some instructions on, let me get to my second point, divorce between a believer and an unbeliever. And then we're going to talk about remaining. Remain where you are. Remain where you are. Those are the three things we'll discuss. Here's number one. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, that middle section, it's parenthetical. Probably in your Bible, it shows it in parentheses. It showed it in mine that way. That parenthetical part applies to both the man and the woman. The, the, you're not to, you should not leave your husband that's the same thing as divorce okay the husband shouldn't divorce the wife the wife shouldn't divorce the husband she shouldn't leave him she shouldn't go to the courts in Corinth and say I'm tired of this old man he's gotten old and fat and all he wants to do is watch the lions eat the Christians I'm done I'm done with them no 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 it's for both And what they were doing, they would divorce and then they would just remarry. They they considered it nothing to marry and divorce. It was just nothing. And guess what? In our culture today, it's nothing to divorce and just leave somebody. It means nothing. It doesn't. I I know people that have been married four and five times and are looking for a way out of their current marriage and that of a so-called Christian individual. Now, I've already dove into that a little bit, but I want to explain something really quickly, because so I think it's confusing to people. When Paul says that uh, he's giving the instructions, because he is the one that's giving the instructions here, and then he says, not I, but the Lord. And later on in, in uh, verse 12, we're going to see that he says, but to the rest I say, not the Lord. He says it. Two different ways, right? I'm Not me speaking. I'm going to give instructions, but I'm not going to use my words. That's what he's saying there in the first one. I'm not going to use my words. I'm going to now, because I'm going to use a quote from Christ, he's basically right here saying, here's my footnote. Here's the footnote. I'm going to show you the reference of where I got this information. Well, this particular word came directly from Christ. He's being quoted, and he's being recorded as saying these things. And he says, but the, Lord, but the Lord's the one that's talking. And he says that the wife should not leave her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay? Later on, he's going to do the opposite. The Lord didn't say this, but I'm saying it. Now, what happens is, and the misunderstanding here, is people automatically assume there's a difference in authority in the Scripture. That is not true. That is a falseness. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote down Scripture, it's as authoritative as when you see the red letters in your Bible where Jesus is speaking. They both are equally things that you need to hear. They're equally things that will change your life, and they're equally authoritative. All right? So that's important. And I think here's the thing. The contrast in what he's saying is right here. The contrast we see here is between what the Lord uttered directly What came out of Jesus' mouth in his earthly ministry while he was in flesh on the earth, these are the things he said about divorce. And then, so those are the things that he stated directly. And then, and the contrast is what he has uttered indirectly. So Christ, or the Lord himself, is also uttering through Paul indirectly to say these things. So Paul didn't get out here and just invent his own doctrine about marriage. Not at all not at all the apostles did not do that and if we only paid attention in the bible to what is red lettered in your bible you wouldn't have much of a bible there wouldn't be a lot of instruction there because paul wrote i think 11 books and he didn't always quote everything jesus said he did quote some things he said so that's an important thing that you look at and i wanted to say that first because i believe and uh, i believed approaching this that that was necessary to say because that could be rather confusing and I actually found that to be true because I had people come up to me afterward and go I never can understand why it said that and that's why one he's quoting exactly what he said when he was on earth, the other he's quoting what he's told him since he left the earth but it's all coming through the Lord all scripture is God breathed every part of it including the red letter parts that Christ himself spoke God included those in the canonization of Scripture because it was God-breathed. All right. So there we go. Marriage is to be a lifetime commitment, verse 10 and verse 11. He says, uh, the wife should not leave the husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So it's a lifetime commitment. Um, I'm thinking, I remember a time where, and this is in the believer's world, and I, I think this applies even to the unbelievers. I don't think God intended for the unbeliever, the one that doesn't even believe in him, when they married, I don't think he intended for them to ever divorce. I don't see that anywhere. Now, they're more likely to because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have some of the availability that you have as a believer to stay in a marriage and to work things out. But I don't see where he ever says, it's okay if you're unsaved to get divorced. There's, there's some conditions. We'll talk about those. Um, we had one time, I'm just going to share a little story here, this is about two believers they're in Christ and he's saying you shouldn't divorce you shouldn't separate, you should stay together All right. so I recall a time where we had a couple that made an appointment with one of our pastors and they came in and what they told the pastor, they were coming in for counseling and they told one of our pastors that they felt that it was God's will for them to be together God's will for us to be together. Now, on the surface, you say, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Except the pastor happened to know that they were both married to other people. Hmm. And um, they, wanted to divorce, they wanted to divorce their current spouse, break up their families, and they had it figured out they told the pastor that this was God's will. Uh, That is an absolute asinine statement. God says that he hates divorce. Malachi. I hate divorce. God did not intend for divorce to interrupt marriages. That wasn't his original intention. But that said, I must say this and that couple ended up divorcing their spouses and marrying and um, I was able to counsel with one of them much, many years later and the admission that, that and the sorrow the great sorrow they had for actually thinking that God wanted them to divorce and marry each other that it was in his will that doesn't line up with any scripture at all guys, not at all But they went ahead and went through that process and it brought them great sorrow. And um, yeah, hard on the church, hard on the individuals, hard on the families. Was never supposed to be. But God says he hates divorce. And some of you are gonna go, wait a minute though, he grants divorce. Because he does. He actually granted it. um, And I think if we look at Matthew 19 real quick, let me look at that. I'll try and read it to you really quickly it's one of the spots he's in Matthew 5 Matthew 19 and Mark 10 Christ speaks about divorce but I'll do the 19 one because that's what I have written in my notes I was going to paraphrase it but I think it's probably better for me just to go ahead and read it Um, so he comes into uh, region of Judea, beyond the Jordan, and there's large crowds there, of course, to meet him because he's healing people, and there's large crowds. But the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking him to test. Now they're going to give him a test. And they ask him this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And I love his answer. I love his answer because these Pharisees are supposed to be the ones that are experts in the Word of God. They're experts in knowing what God said. They've memorized a lot of it. And what does he say? And and it's a perfect response. And he answered and said, "Have you not read?" And it's not like you don't have the information; you haven't read it yet. No, haven't you read this? And you're quoting it wrong to me. That he who created them from the beginning—I'm sorry—it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all. No, he said. And he answered and said, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female?" and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let no man separate and this is the kind of language that you're not seeing in weddings right now that are outside the church that used to be Spoken, and no matter where the wedding was at, that kind of language was used. Now it's not being used. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So it's interesting now, you're gonna, I'm going to have some people in the room that are going to say, well, then it wasn't God that permitted that, it was Moses. Well, we're back to that same thought. Just like the Apostle Paul wrote down all the things that the Lord told him to write down, and that made the word inspired, Moses was a prophet, and he was only prophesying and doing the things that God told him to do. So God is the one who initiates a certificate of divorce. Why? Because of the hardness of your hearts. So he does allow divorce; he allows a certificate to be given, and that's clear through scripture, but that's not how he intended it. he wanted his, he wants it to be a lifetime commitment so but if you can't get it if you can't make it a lifetime commitment because of the hardness of the heart, then you're allowed to divorce now there's that middle parenthetical section that we have to take a look at though because that says. But if she does leave her husband, she must remain unmarried. Or else be reconciled to her husband. So things are so bad in the home because of the hardness of the heart, and it's vice versa if it's the man. The man must not marry if he's the one who initiates, and he must not He must be reconciled. Those are two options. Those are the two options given here. This is a situation where the, the divorce is going to take place where infidelity is not involved. We've already talked about the infidelity exception. It's the one exception that says if there's infidelity in the marriage, and I still believe there should be an opportunity for reconciliation, even in that. It's not just, oh, you cheated on me, I want a divorce, and I'm remarrying JoJo over here. That's not how it should be. There should be a time factor that allows that individual to hopefully have God get a hold of their heart and change them. And that's why he said, stay single until you're reconciled. That's really what he's saying. You either stay single or else you become reconciled. And um, we've seen that here at Valley, we've seen it through, uh, I don't think he'll mind if I say it, Pastor Tim Wallstrom. Um, was divorced by his wife wanted a divorce Uh, he did not want the divorce but she wanted it and in California you don't need permission of the other to get divorced really so he went ahead and, and they got divorced but Tim waited 15 years I think it was 15 years or thereabouts where he remained single in hopes that God would change his wife's heart And that they could be reconciled. And fifteen years later, his ex-wife remarried. Got married to someone else, which was kind of like breaking Pastor Tim's heart all over again. Because now he knew that was a done deal. And it freed him up. It freed him up to look to marry someone else. And thankfully God gave him a wonderful wife and Diana. twins and the whole thing goes on and on um, but he was faithful and he was loyal to what the Lord asked him to do and in that circumstance when, the, when one remarries then it frees up the other and that's what took place there And so, uh, but that, that's what we look at he says he hates it but he does allow it and um, there are those conditions and the conditions are that if you if, it, if your marriage is just that bad And let me tell you something. Let's just talk about the hardness of heart for a moment. When someone hardens their heart against what God wants them to do, um, living with that individual can be pure hell. Um, I came from a home where I know that my dad loved my mom dearly. I know that without... There's no doubt about it. My... My Aunt Carolyn and me have rehearsed multiple times that there was no doubt that my dad loved my mother. But I saw my dad harden his heart, not toward my mom or their marriage, but toward the Lord. I watched him do it. It wasn't for a very long time, thankfully. But I watched that happen, and I watched the turmoil that that created. Turmoil like I'd never seen in my household. I'm like 15, 16 years old. What is going on? The hardening of the heart is a horrible condition, and um, you need to have a soft heart. A hardened heart says, "I want what I want, and I don't care what you want. I don't care what God wants. I don't care what anybody else wants. I want what I want." It's called a hard heart. I'm not listening. I refuse to be taught. I refuse to comply. Even though you say it's better for me and you can show me in the script, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Guess what? That couple that came to see the counselor that day, they had already hardened their hearts toward their mates and toward God and toward me, because they just wanted to be together so badly. If you're going to divorce someone that's a believer, if you're here this morning and you're contemplating that, you must remain single and you must look to reconcile. And you must stay single until the reconciliation comes or until the individual that you're married to is proven to be an unbeliever, maybe, or they just remarry somebody else. Or they become into infidelity. They start acting out with other people. That'll free you up. But in the meantime, you wait. You wait. See, sometimes that'll make somebody go, oh, I don't know if I do want to get divorced if I gotta do that. I don't want to be by myself. And listen, I think, I've seen it in counseling. I've heard about it from other counselors, of sitting across from a woman that's been beaten by her husband, a believer, two believers. Her eyes are blacked, bloody lip. Can't hardly recognize who she is. And we as pastors got to tell her, well, you got to stay in that marriage. Yeah. I think God says, no, you're allowed. You're allowed to to get out of that circumstance when you're in danger, when, when there's no peace. And we're going to talk about the difference between the believer and the unbeliever, but this isn't a believing one. And we know that infidelity, you can get out of it. And, and you're not allowed to remarry. You've, the, the, marriage is, the marriage is not considered broken by God even if you divorce him, if you stay single. If you do what he said, he's saying there's still a possibility that that marriage could be repaired. It's not over yet. It only becomes over when you act out against God in such a way that you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go out here and sleep around or I'm going to go and remarry and I don't care what God says. And he says in in Matthew 19, we just looked at it, that makes you an adulterer. Now, I want to say this. That doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven if you've done that. You absolutely can be forgiven. God does it. And uh, I I, I think that in that scenario, uh, 1 John 1, 9 is still true. If If you will confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive. But please don't have that in your back pocket when you decide to do it. Right? I mean, what a way to sin against God. I, I'm, I, I know I got my trump card. I can just ask you to forgive me. And you have to. Oh, and he will forgive you still. But all the pain that you will cause and all the pain that you will go through. You know, he did forgive David for sinning against Bathsheba. But all oh, the price he paid cost him his boys. What's it going to cost you to go through a divorce? and not just half your retirement and all that good stuff that's just money stuff I, I was talking the in preaching, the preaching team meeting this week and, and Bobby Swanson said hey I was at work with guys that said they gave half of their retirement up paid alimony and the whole thing to the, the wife and he's like man that doesn't seem like it was worth it and they go oh it's totally worth it that must have been one miserable marriage is all I can say So there's what we do within the believing group. Are you allowed to divorce? I think there's circumstances where you are, but you have there's conditions to it. If there's infidelity involved, you can divorce and you can also remarry again. You're freed up because once infidelity happens, that was what we would call a broken marriage. The vows of that marriage have been completely broken, and the vows can be broken In this other area too, right? With the the beating or the the, uh, refusing to um, take care of the other individual. Refusing to uh, be honest with yourself. I always want to ask people that are just willing to get divorced like that. They just happen so quick. I'm like, what about your word? What about your word to the other individual? This person that you were so madly in love with that you decided to marry and share half of everything with them, your life and everything, and now all of a sudden, your word means nothing? Oh my. But I also wanted to remind folks that have been in that circumstance that um, there is forgiveness. God will forgive. And you can move forward. And that um, even if there's an adultery that happened there, once you've confessed that, you're not perpetually in adultery because you married another woman or another man. That doesn't, You're not perpetually in that. It's a one-time thing. You get confession. I think this other couple, I honestly believe that that couple that divorced their current spouses and married each other, I believe God forgave them and they were moving on. But all oh, the pain that it caused. And it created pain in their lives right up until the end of their lives. It's going to be painful. And they admitted that he have admitted it to me more than once. So now we talk about the divorce between a believer and an unbeliever, verses 12 through 16. And he says, but to the rest I say, not the Lord. And there's that comment that we made earlier that that does not mean that what he's saying isn't coming from the Lord. It just means he's not quoting him directly. Okay, That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, now he calls him a brother, so that means he's a believer, But if you have an unbelieving wife and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And the same is true the other direction. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. So I think what happened here was in chapter six, back here if you remember, Paul talked about, and Tim did the sermon on this, he spoke about if you go to bed with a temple prostitute, you're taking Christ to bed with you, okay? And so they're asking the question, well, what if I'm married to an unbeliever, a pagan, then am I taking, every time I go to bed with my husband, am I taking Christ to to bed with an unsaved man? That doesn't work. And so they ask the question, and and then he's answering it in that marriage is not, and I would say this too, marriage is not just for believers. We said that already unbelievers marriage was for 2 all people in, in Hebrews I think it says that Hebrews says marriage is honorable in all not just believers in all it's, you're honoring the, the thing that God set up by agreeing to do it in that way now marriages of same sex those aren't honorable you have to do it in accordance to what God set it up as the two becoming one flesh uh, a husband and a wife a man and a woman would be married and become one flesh Okay, so got to realize that. but So you have that whole situation where you're saying, hey, if they consent to live with you, that's okay. And you're not, it's not a defiled relationship. It is not. Matter of fact, he's going to go on um, and say that it's kind of the opposite of that. It's actually a marriage that is now sanctified. Has a sanctifying process in it. And we see that in 14. It says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, and, but now they are holy. They're sanctified. Because the relationship is sanctified. Okay, so instead of the unbeliever defiling the marriage, it is the other way around. It is the believing spouse that, in a sense, sanctifies the unbeliever. Now, this is not salvation. doesn't save them. Okay? or regenerate them. What it means is that no defilement is involved when sexual union occurs in such a marriage. But rather, it sets the unbeliever apart for a special treatment by the Lord. There's a strong exposure to a loving witness that is very difficult for him or her to resist. And it may very well ultimately lead that unbelieving spouse to the Lord. No guarantee of that, but it could. Think about it. In an unbelieving relationship, husband and wife, there is no spiritual input neither one of them are believing they're not around it unless they're around their neighbor who knows the Lord or a loved one that knows the Lord that's the only time they hear it but now I've just moved her in with me all she can talk about and all I can see is what God has changed her to if I'm willing to stay in the relationship with with a wife when I'm an unbeliever and I watch what God did with her and I watch her tell me gently not with a finger in my chest but just kind of living out, and I'm watching God change her. I'm watching God sanctify her, and in the process, I'm like, I can't resist this eventually. That's the best thing, right? Now, it does not mean that if you're doing that, your husband or your wife are going to absolutely be saved. It does not say that, because in verse 16, he's going to say something different than that. He's going to kind of talk about that a little bit. It, it, but it's like, it's a strong exposure. Therefore, they are set apart in a special relationship, husband and children alike, or wife and children alike, whichever way you want to look at that. And that is a marriage. Then the needs to, that's a marriage that needs to be preserved. That marriage needs to be preserved. You don't go look for a divorce. You're not defiling, you're not taking Christ to bed when you sleep with your husband that you married when you're both unsaved. Now, now we got a whole different subject matter if you're saved and you marry an unsaved guy. You've got no permission to do that. That's being unequally yoked. That's different. This one here is you both were unsaved. God, by his grace, saves one of you. You stay in that marriage unless there's abuse or there's some other issues. But right now, you stay in that marriage. Now, if he's out here cheating on you or he doesn't want to stay in it, what if he doesn't want to stay in it? Well, man, I lost my party girl. My wife got saved. Now i got to go to parties by myself because she won't go anymore. That's bumming me out. I want a girl that will party with me. I want one that'll cuss a little jag with me now and then. Right? I mean, if that's the case, and he wants out of the marriage, what's he saying in 15? Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, either he or she, let him leave. Don't beg and grovel and grab him by the ankles and tell him don't go, especially if your home is in an upheaval, because typically it's going to be. If the guy doesn't want to be anymore married to the woman who's sanctified and is living a Christ life, Christ like life, he's over here going, that ain't what I want. I want someone that'll get down and dirty. And she's not willing to do that anymore. I want someone. If you make him stay in that, what kind of relationship is that going to be? You're forcing him to stay, and what happens to the peace in the house? your kids see it your neighbors see it you see it and you're like oh but you've got to stay oh he said cut him loose so paul's saying let him go and and then what's the next line the brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases if an unbeliever leaves the marriage wants a divorce and divorces you're now free to remarry if you're the believer that's what he meant you're not in bondage anymore to that relationship that marriage is broken it's broken by him wanting the divorce or her wanting the divorce. And then he says, but God has called us to peace. He's called us to peace. So you want to stay in a marriage where it's abusive or it's um, just a, a struggle all the time. You're walking on eggshells. You can't say the wrong thing. He wants you to go do things that you know you shouldn't do, and you're, you're wanting to, to keep the marriage together somehow, so you're like, ooh, maybe I should. No, you shouldn't. Don't go against principles in Scripture. And please don't come to me and say, well, I'm supposed to submit as the wife. What about the husband? I'm not supposed to have to submit necessarily. I am according to passages. I get that. But in the marriage relationship, no. It's, but so don't use that one with me because that doesn't work. Just doesn't work. If that man wants away from the marriage, God says, or that woman wants away from the marriage, God says, let him go. Let him go. Uh, because you're supposed to be at peace and uh, I didn't plan for your home to be in upheaval all the time and then what's he saying 16 we go right there here's, here's the one so oh no I need to stay in the marriage because according to you know 14 back there I'm, I'm, I'm sanctifying him well how's it working out for you he keeps punching you in the face how's the sanctification working he wants you to party and do all these things that you know you can't do you're in turmoil all the time how's that working out so he answers that because now this woman or the man is going but man if we divorce now they're not going to ever get saved so what's he saying 16 for how do you know oh wife and once again it's not old wife it's oh wife whether you will save your husband can you save your husband absolutely not can you save your wife absolutely not can you save your children absolutely not But God can. Or how do you know, oh husband, whether you will save your wife? It's better to be in peace. It's better to take, as bad as this sounds, it's better to take your kids out of that circumstance and grant that person to leave so that there will be peace in the home than it is to have it always be No one knows what to do because dad might go off or mom might go off at any moment. Oh, and like I said, I'm not casting uh, things to my dad, but I remember. And he was not an easy man to get along with when he had that hardened heart situation. He said he was ensnared by Satan and uh, he was ensnared and his heart was hardened and there was a lot of things going on that um, I had never seen in my entire life. But when you have a hard heart, there's, no t- there's a lot of horrible things that can take place. And I believe if you're living with someone with a hard heart, it's a, it's a hellish thing. It really is. So now then we're going to get to the final points here in verses 17 through 24, which I think is where we're marching to. And um, I, I titled this one, Just Remain Where You Are. Just remain where you are. Stay where you're at. And if you look at it, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. Wherever God has called you, where you are at, stay there. And and here's the deal. So I looked at it like this. Should salvation change your marital status? Should it? Should salvation, you're unsaved, two of you are unsaved, and one of you gets saved. Should that change your marital status? No. No no not according to what we just read not according to what Christ said not according to what we just read from Paul which comes from the Lord again the way that God made you the way he called you where he called you from that isn't the way in which you should continue to walk in other words if he designed you for marriage you ought to get married we're going back a little ways now if he designed you to be married you should get married If he designed you for singleness, then remain single. Um, And if you were saved married, then you stay married. If you were saved single, then stay single unless you feel you need to get married. If you're burning, go get married. I mean, don't grab the first person to do that. Find somebody and get married. Only you know, and it's between you and God, Whether you need to be single or married, I can't determine that for you. That's between you and God. But salvation shouldn't change those things. Verse 18, if you were called in a saved condition, you were called and you are getting saved, being circumcised, don't become uncircumcised. And I say thank the Lord for that passage. I mean, I don't even know how you would do that. And if you were called being uncircumcised, don't go get circumcised. That's got nothing to do with anything. That's got nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. And he says, circumcision in verse 19 says, circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing anyway. What is the thing you're supposed to be doing? Obeying the commandments of God. That's what matters. In obeying the commandments of God, you see sanctification taking place. We see a life that's changing. And we notice that if you were called, saved, being circumcised, I don't know that there's anything you can do about that anyway. I don't know how you could become uncircumcised. So why change your marriage? why change your status in marriage when you got saved remain in the condition in which you were called that's verse 20 each man must remain in the condition in which he was called It's very simple remain there stay there now in that process when you look at it you say were you called while a slave or were you called while a servant do not worry about it but if you are able also to become free rather do that if you can get freed up good but if not, stay right where you're at. That's where he called you at. That's where you got saved at. Stay there. You don't need to go out and do a bunch of craziness, try to get freed up. And then look what he says. I love this verse 22. I just love this. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Now, I don't see here where it says he got set free from his slavery Physically. He's a slave for he maybe owed money or whatever, so he took on a servanthood or a slavery. And he says, "The one that get called there is the Lord's freed man." Interesting. Likewise, he who was called while free, now look at this change, is Christ's slave. Oh my, oh my! I got me a new master when I got saved. Amazing. And look, and he continues in 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Hmm. What did that mean? We'll talk about that in a second. If you were called as a slave, remain there. If you can become a free man, do that. If you are, if you weren't a slave, or if you were a slave, you become a free man in Christ. If you weren't a slave, you were free. Now you're a slave of Christ. What a, what a, what a contrasting thoughts there. Good stuff. Then he says in verse 24, brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. It's all pretty simple stuff, guys. Stay right there. Just stay in the condition that you guess who will change your condition? Who changes your conditions? God does. You remain until he changes things. So let's sum this whole thing up here on this section. Salvation should not tear marriages apart. Shouldn't disrupt your life or the life of your spouse in that sense or your family. Should not change that. Now, it should disrupt your life in that your husband or your wife, whoever the unsaved is, starts to see something different in you. They start to see something. They, they're like, wait a minute. Because, you know, there's a good chance that as you become sanctified, they're going to go, I like the new person that I see here. There's, there's a light in the dark house that we had. There's a light in the house. There's a sanctifying work going on here. In, in, in my spouse, and somehow I'm now seeing things I've never seen before in my life. I'm hearing truths about Christ that I've never heard. Why? Because my wife can't be quiet about it. Or my husband can't be quiet about it. And I've seen, we've seen over the years, multiple times where a, a, a husband and wife come together or a boyfriend and a girlfriend come to the church together. One of them gets saved. Or, and if they're married, and within months, you see the other one gets saved. They're, they can't hardly resist it at a point. It's so in their face. It's right there. They, wake, they go to bed with it and they wake up with it. So hope, regardless of your situation this morning, even if you cannot change it, even if it is so-called difficult in marriage, remember that God is able to meet you right where you are and to fill your life with love, joy, and peace despite your struggles. He can do that. Only He can do that. You can't even do that. It takes Him to do that. You can't bring joy. He brings joy. He's the one that provides peace. The struggles themselves actually will help you do it if you understand them as God's care for you. God uses those circumstances to grow you up. He brings those circumstances to get you more sanctified. The sanctification process takes those circumstances sometimes. But let me warn you. When he said, do not become slaves of men. How do you become a slave of man? Well, listen. Well, you do that when you conform to the world around you. You just, hey, I I did this example. When I got saved, I had filthy rags on me. Dirty, filthy, rotten, holy clothes, just nasty. And God got in and he saved me and he cleansed me and he washed me up and he gave me a new wardrobe. He put me in a tuxedo. Clothing I could not afford, he provided for me. I become a slave of men and conform to the world. Am I gonna go put those dirty clothes back on over the tuxedo? May it never be. May it never be. Stop. Stop going back to the wrong things. Stop going back to your sin that you had before you met the Lord. When you let the opinions of the secular world shape your judgments as to what your marriage ought to look like. What do you mean your wife doesn't do those things with you anymore? Get rid of her, get another one. That's what the world tells you. That's not what God says. You are becoming a slave to men instead of the Lord when you do that. When you follow after teachers in the church, and I'm going way back to the first part of 1 Corinthians, when you start to follow after the teachers in the church and think of one of them as better than the other and preferable to you, you you're becoming a slave of men. You're putting men higher than what the Word of God is. You say, well, I only enjoy it when Pastor Todd preaches. Oh, Larry's preaching. He's going to go long anyway. Let's just stay home. All right, all right. You're laughing, I got it. I'm keeping track of who laughed. You can become a slave of even a good thing if you're not careful. Why? You should come to church every Sunday wanting to hear what God is going to say to you.
1: Hallelujah. Yeah.
0: And he's going to say it through bozos like me sometimes. And I say that jokingly. I don't think I'm a bozo. But he's going to say it through jars of clay, I think. I'm amazed at how he uses this puny, weak man to convey truth. And it can't be me. It must not be me. Can't be Todd. It can't be Tim. It can't be Phil when he was preaching. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to your heart. And it's the word of God that changes you. So we, we want to stay away from being conformed to the world. We don't want to be a slave of men. When you give way to the secular pressures, to sexual infidelity, you're becoming a slave to men. Do not, when you're looking at porn, when you start letting that take your life over. Uh, pixels on a screen are controlling you. They're destroying your marriage. You're conforming to the world system. And God has given you a woman in the flesh that loves you. Or a man, because women do it too. Don't sit here, women, and act like you've never looked at porn. A third of all people addicted to pornography are women. Women. Addicted. Not you. Just looked once. You become a slave to men. You're you're providing that outlet, more outlet, because you watch it, and it gives them more money, so they can keep doing that stuff. And guess what? They're after your children. They're not just after you, dad and mom. They're after your kids. And then you give your kid a phone, and they can watch it when they, they can go in the bathroom and watch it without you even knowing it. Be careful, be careful. Instead of conforming to the world and becoming a slave of men, be a slave to God. Paul says, but remain where you are with God. With God. And do remember this. You do take him everywhere you go. He is in you. He is with you. You take him everywhere with you. Heavenly Father, yes, yes. how we thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for speaking through Paul and inspiring him, breathing out what you wanted said that even gives us more detail. And Lord, we didn't touch all of the different circumstances, but I believe we did. Contact. make contact on the areas that you clearly stated through Paul. And so may your word, uh, maybe it'll change somebody who's contemplating divorce in the room. Leaving behind their family and all the things you've given them blessings to have. So we would pray that you would arrest that and that they would uh, seek help if they need it. Our pastoral staff will help them as you lead us. Thank you for the wonderful gift of marriage. Um, there's people in the room that have been married 50 years, Lord, or more. And you bless their relationships. And all oh, that our young couples who are contemplating divorce. Oh, that they would at least take a time to sit and talk with somebody who's been down the road a ways and that they would be able to show them scripturally what they can do to alter that. In the meantime, we thank you for your word. Pray you bless the remaining part of our day in Jesus' name, amen.